Well, we're turning in our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 13 as we bring to a close this great chapter of parables in Matthew's Gospel. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to use one of the pew Bibles in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that with you as you leave. That would be our gift to you. We'd be happy for you to do that. If you don't like the hardcover, you can go to the information desk on your way out and grab a paperback version. But we just want you to have a Bible in your hands, uh, either paper copy or on your phone, some sort of copy of God's Word in front of you as we make our way through the text this morning. We do believe here at First Baptist that spiritual life begins and is sustained by God's Word. And so that's why routinely, week after week, we simply seek to open up the Bible, read the Bible, explain and apply the Bible, because we understand that that is where God has ordained the power for spiritual transformation will exist. There's no divide between the Bible and the Spirit. The Spirit works through His Word as it is openly proclaimed. And so uh, we just so value the Bible that we, we hope you do as well. So take one if you don't have one. This morning we're in Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 24. I'm going to read all the way until verse 52. So Matthew 13, 24 to 52. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, 
and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your goodness and kindness you have seen fit to reveal the secrets of the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And we pray this morning that as we hear from your word that you would give us each eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say through these parables. And that not only that, but in understanding them, we pray that you would make each one of us a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I have a friend to whom I say very often, if I can't see, I can't hear. Now, of course, in context, I'm saying to her that when my glasses aren't on and you're talking to me, I can't see the way in which your lips are moving, and so therefore, I can't hear what you're saying. I don't know how it works, but somehow it works for me. If I can't see, I can't hear. If you think about glasses for a moment, particularly my glasses since I'm the one talking, um, these glasses are not simply an attractive piece of accessory that makes me look like Clark Kent. No, these glasses... <laughs> These glasses are prescribed to me because without them I can't see a thing. When I put them on, everything comes clear. Now, I would guess that if each of you came up on the platform and stood next to me and tried my glasses on, you'd look really good with them on. However, you wouldn't be able to see anything. In fact, the very instrument that for me clarifies my vision would obscure yours. Hence the parables. The parables in Matthew chapter 13 are given for that exact reason. That's what Jesus said to us the last time we were in this text together. There's a twofold purpose that lies behind the parables. On the one hand, the parables are given to reveal to those to whom it has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They're given to reveal to you who Jesus is and the nature of his kingdom. On the other hand, for those who have hardened their hearts against Jesus, the parables serve to obscure their vision of the kingdom of heaven, its nature, and who Jesus is. And this morning, we are going to again find ourselves looking at the parables of Jesus. And as we do so, we're going to be confronted with the challenge of the mystery of the kingdom. My question to you this morning is, 
if you had been anticipating the arrival of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, how would you have seen it all play out? In your mind's eye, before Jesus came on the scene, how would you have anticipated the kingdom of heaven coming? My guess is that each of us would have expected that when God came to rule and reign over His people in His kingly authority, there would have been an instantaneous outbreaking of His kingdom, which His enemies would be judged, righteousness would be established, His glory would be revealed and understood and treasured. And as we've made our way through Matthew's Gospel, we've seen very little of that. Yet at the same time, Matthew seems to be adamant to show us that Jesus is the boy born the king, who in his very first sermon to his people in chapter 3 announces the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So how do we make sense of this? This is the mystery of the kingdom. Now as you turn to these six, perhaps even seven parables at the end of Matthew 13, you'd be forgiven for thinking that they're just sort of random stories. But I think what we'll find as we examine this passage a little bit more closely is that each parable has a pair. So we have pairs of parables. You're very welcome. Pairs of parables, each that give to us a part of the mystery of the kingdom. The first parable, the parable of the weeds, corresponds very nicely to the parable of the net. The parables of the mustard seed and the leaven seem to be teaching the same thing. And the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value also make one great point. What remains is this bit in verses 34 and 35 that show Jesus to be the one who reveals the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And its pair in verses 51 and following, in which Jesus passes on the responsibility to his disciples. So I've labored quite a bit at trying to sort of encapsulate all that is said in this final portion of Matthew 13 into a sentence, and it is a doozy. And so I'm going to give it to you twice before we make our way through each one of the parables. Matthew 13, 24 to 52 teaches this. The kingdom of heaven will grow until the end of the age when the wicked are separated from the righteous and judged, and therefore it, that is the kingdom of heaven, is of incomparable value and must be proclaimed. Say that back to me. <laughs> Let me go again. The kingdom of heaven will grow until the end of the age when the wicked are separated from the righteous and judged, and therefore it, the kingdom of heaven, is of incomparable value and must be proclaimed. So whatever we learn in this portion of Matthew 13, we're going to have to say something about kingdom judgment. We're going to have to say something about kingdom growth. We're going to have to say something about kingdom value. And fourthly and finally, we're going to have to say something about kingdom proclamation. That's going to be our outline. So first of all, kingdom judgment. This is perhaps the most dominant theme throughout this portion of Matthew 13. We find it popping up three times. 
First, in verses 24 to 30, as Jesus gives us the parable of the weeds. Then again, in verses 36 to 43, as he explains the parable of the weeds to his disciples. And then finally, in verses 47 to 50, as Jesus gives the parable of the net. Kingdom judgment. Now, I want to appeal to you on the front end, on the basis of your deep desire for justice. There's not a person in this room who isn't appalled when justice isn't served. So you place yourself in the shoes of the early disciples who would have received Matthew's Gospel. And there is an appearance of either justice not being served or angst because of the fact that justice seems to be delayed. And what Jesus does in these parables is to say, first to the crowds and then to His disciples, do not think for a moment that there is not coming a day where in the words of Amos the prophet and later Martin Luther King Jr., there is not, don't think for a moment that there is not a day coming when justice will roll down. Kingdom judgment. Look at this first parable, the parable of the weeds. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Later, he tells his disciples that the man who sowed good seed in his field is the son of man. Jesus is the sower in this story. And the good seed, he tells us, are the sons of the kingdom. Verse 25, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Jesus tells us that the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy is the devil. You'll find that right in his explanation, 35 to 43. What is perhaps of importance in this parable is that there's no way of knowing whether a plant is a wheat, is wheat or a weed, until the wheat begins to bear grain. They look very similar until the fruit begins to be produced. So the men of the house come and they ask their master, should we then, as your enemy has done this and planted the weeds in your field, you've planted good seed in your field, should we go and gather them, verse 28? Verse 29, he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Now I want you to think for a moment about the question that resides so often in the hearts of believing people, and even those outside the community of the church. The question is this, if God is really good, why is there so much evil in the world? Do you not detect that in the question, should we go and gather up those who are weeds? Shouldn't we just go and make an end of evil now? And the response of the master of the house, which is, in turn, the response of Jesus is no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, here's his point, I will tell the reapers, the harvest time is the end of the age, the reapers are the angels, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus returns to this theme in the parable of the net verses 47 to 50, in which he tells the story of a net let down into the ocean. Fish of every kind are caught in the net. The fishermen bring the net back up onto the boat, 
and they begin to sort verse 48. They sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So will it be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The lesson here is unmistakable. That it is no valid argument that God will never execute justice simply because He hasn't yet executed justice worldwide, global, final justice. To the crowds, as Jesus speaks, the parable of the weeds, the message is clear. Don't think for a moment that I will not call you into account. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that is the message of Jesus Christ to you this morning. Do not think for a moment that I will never call you into account. The message of the parable of the net as Jesus proclaims this to the disciples is similar yet different. And the message is, do not think that I will not right all wrongs, that I will not vindicate you against your oppressors and your persecutors. Justice will roll down. Now to those of us who have never trusted in Jesus this morning, I say to you, this is tremendously good news. You know, we have a tendency, don't we, as modern, cultured Americans to sort of kick against the notion of hell. Friends, it is unmistakable what Jesus is saying here. Throw them into the fiery furnace, he says, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell. There's only one Jesus. We do not get to create a Jesus in our own image. We better be content with the Jesus who we've been given. And the Jesus we've been given is the one who proclaims hell more than any other person in the New Testament. Unmistakable. But understand this. The very Jesus who proclaims hell more than anyone else in the New Testament is the same Jesus who lays down His life as an atonement for the sins of those who will trust in Him and rises again so that you'll never have to go there. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the warning. It's a gracious warning to all of you who are outside of Christ. Justice will roll down, and what will be your answer? Do not think for a moment that just because God has not come in judgment in your life yet, that He never will. For those of us who are in Christ, this is likewise tremendously good news because it tells us that there will be a day where we will not wake up to news of another school shooting. Do you understand that? I mean, I watch the news like you do, and my question over and over again is how long, how long, how long? Why is this happening? And then I get my bearings when I open the Bible. And the answer to the question, how long, is the end of the age. When God writes every wrong. Wipes away every tear. When the righteous, verse 43, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's the the words that that motivate the great hymn writer, John Newton, to say, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun. There is this glorious separation that's coming. The kingdom of heaven when it comes in its fullness and in its power, when Jesus returns, the weeds and the wheat will be separated. Justice will roll down. So why remain a a weed? 
In the words of St. Augustine, today's weed might be tomorrow's wheat. Would you trust in Jesus this morning and be freed from the judgment that's coming upon sin? This is kingdom judgment according to our Lord. But secondly, Jesus in these parables gives us a lesson of kingdom growth. Kingdom growth. This is the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, verses 31 all the way through 33. Now there is a word here of realism and a word of glory in all that Jesus communicates to us in these parables. Because for so long, especially in American Christianity, we have been drunk on numbers. But there is a word of realism here in what Jesus says. Jesus, in effect, is telling you, do not despise the day of small things. Because the kingdom of heaven grows unlike the kingdoms of men. The Roman Empire and its imperialism, its methods of advancing its kingdom at all costs. And here, Jesus tells us simply in these two parables that the kingdom of heaven begins very small and yet grows very big until one day, like leaven in dough, it permeates the entire globe. Listen to what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. If you're a botanist, you come to me and say, well, it's not technically, that's not the point. According to the experience of an ancient Near Eastern farmer, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree. The prophets in the Old Testament picture the kingdom of God like this massive tree that birds came to roost under and within. And here Jesus picks up on that imagery. It begins small, like a mustard seed, and it gets big so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Likewise, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That's provocative. Leaven almost universally in the Bible is negative. Here it's positive, like leaven worked into three measures of flour. The kingdom of heaven will expand until it permeates and covers the entire planet. Now, you and I have been given marching orders. We've been given, as a matter of fact, marching orders in this very gospel. What are we to do as the people of God, as the church of God? We don't have to make that up. Jesus told us. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. You understand? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Those are our marching orders. That's our responsibility. Go, preach indiscriminately to all nations. But don't you realize that what Jesus is saying here is that as we do that, God will be faithful to permeate the entire globe with this message of Christ. So that one day there will be believers from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's God's prerogative. This is what we are to do. The principle of kingdom growth is that the kingdom expands and enlarges as one disciple makes another who makes another who makes another. You have no idea how fast things change when you go slowly. Kingdom growth. Small, subtle, unimpressive, 
indistinguishable, yet in the end, massive, influential, permeating all of culture. That is kingdom growth. But what I really want to focus on with you this morning is this fact that if, if what we're saying is right, if we've understood Jesus correctly, and the righteous and the wicked are going to coexist until the end of the age when that great kingdom judgment finally falls, if in fact the kingdom expands slowly and steadily, some might say unimpressively, as one disciple makes another who makes another who makes another, if those things are true, then understand this. When you find the kingdom of heaven, it is of such surpassing value that you dare not ignore it. You dare not ignore it. Here is the third principle, kingdom value. Now I know because I'm a realist and I've been around human beings for quite some time, that there are people here this morning who have yet to trust in Jesus, who are outside of Christ, simply because of what? Because of the price that you'll have to pay to follow Jesus. You don't want to give up your career. You don't want to give up your lifestyle. You don't want to give up your reputation. You don't want to give up yourself. Because at the end of the day, regardless of what you or I might say, in your heart of hearts, all of that stuff is more valuable than Christ. And there is an assumption that you, in fact, sit on the throne of your human experience and you may just decide to believe in Jesus, to fall before Jesus on your knees anytime you want. Enter the words of Jesus here, 1344. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You are reasonable people. You understand what Jesus is saying immediately. When by chance you fall upon the kingdom of heaven as in the man in the field, or when as a searcher religiously you fall upon the kingdom of heaven as in the man in search of fine pearls, you had better recognize that you've just struck gold and act now. What are you waiting for? I can guarantee you that you will not find one person down throughout 2,000 years of church history who has sacrificed all to gain Christ who would now stand before you and say this was a foolish investment. 
I want to transition to using that language of wise and foolish. The parables fall in that great tradition of wisdom literature. So indeed, we're talking about how to be wise and how to be a fool. Loved ones, to sacrifice your reputation in the community in order to belong to Jesus is a wise investment. For you to sacrifice your advancement in whatever area that you work in, whatever your career might be, is a wise investment. For you to sacrifice your own plans and desires for your life in order to follow the King of kings and Lord of lords is a wise investment. For you to crucify the desires of your sinful flesh in order to follow Jesus is a wise investment. And the exact opposite is true. For you to look in the face of the kingdom of heaven and say, no, I'll have my career is foolish. For you to fall upon the kingdom of heaven in a field and say, no, I'll have my reputation is foolish. You're a fool. And yet we have the testimony down throughout the ages of the church of men and women who have sacrificed all from, for Christ and who have said, it was the greatest thing I've ever done. Imagine the Apostle Paul. Here is a man who is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is as religious as you can possibly get, who was glad to arrest and persecute Christians through the first part of his life, but who later could write in Philippians 3. I want you to write this down just for your notes. Philippians 3, 8 to 10. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Stop there. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Compared to Christ, everything is loss. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's a dirty word. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings. Imagine that. I count everything as loss in order to share in the sufferings of Christ. Becoming like Him in His death so that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's Paul. And he says, I'm putting everything on the ledger here. Everything I've ever been, everything I've ever known, everything I've ever experienced is loss. It's glad loss for the sake of gaining Christ. Here's a man who found Jesus, as it were, buried in a field and went and got rid of everything in order to obtain Christ. Is that you? Have you done that? Have you given up everything in order to gain Christ? The testimonies continue. One of the great figures of American church history is a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott studied at Wheaton College. He was a fantastic 
wrestler. He was promising. Jim Elliott decided to spend his life in service to Christ as a missionary in Ecuador to the Aka Indians. Some of you will know the story. Jim Elliott and his friends, in an effort to love the people they were ministering to well, ended up giving their lives for Christ as they were killed by those very same people. One of the most powerful testimonies to the value and worth of Jesus is found in one of Jim Elliott's journal entries where he writes almost prophetically. This makes you, gives you chills to think about. He writes this, One of the great blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. Ephesian truth. Apparently he was reading the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. One of the greatest blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. He then writes, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. I plead with you this morning in the name of Jesus, do not be a fool. What will you take beyond the grave? You will leave your reputation to your descendants. You will not take your reputation beyond the grave. You will leave your money to your descendants. You will not take your money beyond the grave. You will leave your career at retirement or on the day of your death, you cannot take it into eternity. The only thing, friends, listen to me clearly, the only thing that you can take into eternity is a crucified and a risen Savior. So we better be getting rid of some stuff in order to gain Christ. Am I right? Do not be a fool. If the kingdom of heaven will one day come in power and glory and separate the righteous from the wicked, if, in fact, it's going to grow slowly and steadily, do not take for granted this moment of opportunity, each and every one of you. Do not look Jesus in his crucified face and say, later. Jesus came and lived a perfectly righteous life and died on the cross for your sins and rose again so that we could say with the Apostle Paul, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. I'm not asking you to pray a prayer. I'm not asking you to walk down front. I'm asking you in your heart of hearts as you sit in the pew there right now to confess to the Lord of the universe that you have sinned against Him by not not recognizing His immense value and that you want to repent and you want to trust in Him and you want to receive the gift of the kingdom of heaven. I beg you to do that even now. Kingdom value. Finally, kingdom proclamation. This comes in verses 34 and 35 and then again 51 and 52. Verses 34 and 35, there's 
this Old Testament reference that sort of pulls from the Old Testament into the present as we read all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He quotes from Psalm 78, verse 2, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And when you go back and read Psalm 78, and I I know you will, when you go back and read Psalm 78, you will realize that what the psalmist is saying is that I am going to bring the history of Israel and their disobedience to bear upon you, my readers today, so that you won't be like your forefathers and rejecting the truths of God's kingdom, but that you will actually believe in the Lord, trust in the Lord, and walk in obedience to the Lord. That's what Jesus is doing. Here is the revealing of the parables. He's speaking to us in parables so that we would acknowledge the Lord, trust in the Lord, and walk in obedience to the Lord. Jesus is the great revealer of the mysteries of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means when he says, I will utter what has been hidden. And the New Testament, a mystery is something that is concealed and then later revealed. But I want you to notice the way that all of these parables end. In verse 51, Jesus looks to the disciples and He says, Have you understood all these things? Now, we've gone on a bit of a journey of understanding and discovery along with the disciples. At the end of the parable of the sower, they don't understand. Then at the end of the parable of the weeds, they come to Him and say, explain to us, we don't understand. And so, we would expect, have you understood these things? No. Explain them to us. But yet, here they say, yes. See, all that Jesus has been saying has come true. To them, it has been given to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They've come to a place of understanding. And Jesus not only looks at those disciples, He looks at every disciple down through the ages, and He says, do you understand? And each of us will have to answer that question for ourselves. But if we answer yes... I want you to notice the implications of what Jesus says for you. He utters what arguably is a seventh parable. It's definitely a wisdom saying. But He says, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Therefore, because you've understood this, because you've been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, Because I have come and revealed them to you, it is now your responsibility as a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven to reveal these very mysteries yourself. A scribe in the Old Testament is uh, an expert in the law, a teacher of the law. Here Jesus looks at his disciples and calls us scribes. Scribes not experts in the law, but those who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven. And he says, if you understand these things, you are a scribe who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. What is old is that the kingdom of heaven is coming. 
What is new is that as a matter of fact, it has come in Jesus, and it is growing slowly until the end of the age, when the wicked will be separated from the righteous and judged, and therefore is of incalculable worth. That's what's new. Now, what do we do with this? Jesus says, proclaim it. Bring out of your treasure what is new and what is old. In true wisdom fashion, Jesus says it is not enough simply to amass an understanding of these things, but rather to share and to spread these things everywhere that you and I can. There are many scribes in this room. I'm not the only one. The elders aren't the only ones. Jeremy is not the only one. There are many scribes in this room. So how will you steward your treasure? Will you hoard it for yourself? Or will you, like Jesus, dispense the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven so that you might fulfill the calling and purpose on your life, which is to make disciples. Let me give you just an idea to get you started on how you might share this treasure with others. There's no doubt that many of you will go into a work situation on Monday in which someone will almost, without question, say to you, you know, I just cannot believe the way things are. You know, it's bad enough we had guys out here swinging football helmets around like it's, you know, ancient Rome. We also have another school shooting. What, what, what in the world? And you say, yeah, you know what? I, I actually agree with you entirely. This place is extremely, heartbreakingly broken. But here's what I do know. I do know that Jesus told me that the righteous and the wicked are going to coexist until the day of judgment. So there's going to be justice served. I can guarantee you that. The Bible is clear that justice will be served. Hey, have you ever read the Bible, by the way? Would you like to read the Bible with me? Maybe you can come to First Baptist Church and hear my preacher. He looks like Superman. <laughs> That's just one way that you might use this. Or... You know, as you talk, as we do, as brothers and sisters around the church, we think, man, I just, I can't understand why we've got this great treasure of Christ crucified, and we're not bursting at the seams. Why isn't this place overflowing? Why aren't we at five services? We must be doing something wrong. And you'll say, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you remember that Jesus was telling us in that parable of the mustard seed and the leaven that it goes slowly? That it's just, you know, like steady plowing and one day? Oh yeah, I do remember that. Maybe we are onto the right things. Or, if not that, I can anticipate, or I can even see playing out before me, a conversation with students where one student says, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard at school. I mean, I can't, I can't even, as soon as someone knows that I'm following Jesus, it's like, 
the bigot stuff starts getting thrown out at me, the closed-minded, the hateful stuff gets thrown at me, and I just don't know if I can hold on. And then you can put your arm around that student and say, hey, you know what, I think it's hard too. Because I don't like getting made fun of, I don't like being persecuted, I don't like being told that I'm a bigot, that's really hard. But here's what I do know, at the end of the day, they'll all be worth it. Because you and I, we found this treasure in a field. And if it costs that to get him, no loss. So what will you do with this treasure? Here is the force of all of these parables. It's Jesus revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to his disciples so that his disciples then might go and reveal them to others. Have you understood these things? Have you got your mind around it? Have you wrapped your head around what Jesus has to say? Well, you know what to do. Go. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have disclosed through your Son the mysteries of the kingdom that we might know and understand that the kingdom of heaven will grow until the end of the age when the wicked are separated from the righteous and judged. And that therefore, the kingdom of heaven is of incalculable value and must be proclaimed. Father, we pray that you would cause your word to dwell deeply inside of us and that in doing so, that you might cause it to freely come forth from our mouths. Lord, would you make us again scribes trained for the kingdom of heaven. Lord, as we have in your word beheld the wondrous mystery, we choose now to stand and to sing of it. In Jesus' name, amen.